Good morning, Real Life Church. Can I encourage you to take your seats, please? You won't want to miss a single thing that I'm saying this morning. Grab your seats, grab your warm drinks, finish your conversations. It's time now to hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You should have been handed out a Sharpie and a small brown bit of card. If you haven't got one, could you wave at me and Charlotte will get to you. Oh, she's coming. She's coming. Please don't worry. The Sharpie and the bit of card is for you to keep today. So um, you're welcome. Uh, If we have not met yet, my name is Melanie. I'm one of the leaders here in Real Life Church. Um, I generally look after the under 18s, so I look after the young and uh, along with a lot of help and I also look after what we do in the community and Stuart and I look after the leadership team. So that's what I get up to in my paid hours. Um, This morning I've got the absolute pleasure and privilege of finishing up Micah. So if you've been with us for the last however many weeks, you will know that we have been in our Old Testament in a prophetic book. If you are here this morning and it's the first one you've heard, please don't worry. I'm going to sum up the series for you. But also, we have all of these talks online on our slightly out-of-date website. I do feel like I need to say a new website is coming Um, And we are in the process of rebuilding it and making it look much more in keeping with what we're like now. So just watch this space. But for now, you can go on our website that is slightly out of date and you can catch up on all of our sermons that are absolutely up to date. So you just click on the link that says sermons and it will take you to the series called It's Time. So we've been looking at an Old Testament prophetic book for the last six weeks. I'll do you a quick whiz through of where it sits in the Old Testament, just so that you're aware. So the Old Testament is like a library that's full of books, and the books are arranged by type or by genre. So you get the law, which is at the beginning, which is Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy. You get the history books that tell you everything that went on with the history of God's people. So that goes from Joshua to Esther. You then get the wisdom books. So Job all the way to Song of Songs, um, and then you get the prophets, and that's Isaiah all the way through to Malachi, and then you hit the New Testament. The prophets contain four major prophets, and they're not major because they're more important than the minor, they're just longer. So the major prophets, you get four of them, and they're long ones. And then you get 12 minor prophets, which are shorter. Minor isn't because they are of less importance. They are just shorter. And each book that a prophet writes is named after them. So we find Micah in the minor prophets. And it's written to God's people around 700 BC, when God's people were enjoying prosperity, living in the good of an impressive spiritual heritage. And this has made God's people complacent. There's corrupt leadership everywhere. They're oppressing the poor and worshipping idols. Anyone recognize that description? Spiritually complacent, 
corrupt leadership, oppressing the poor, and worshipping idols. I reckon if there was a group of words that well described our culture, that would be it. So Micah is speaking into this environment on behalf of God, and he presents God's complaint about his people, the judgment that is to follow, and the salvation that is to come. The book of Micah contains seven chapters. We are in chapter seven today. This is the last one. I hope I've made that clear. So if you need to catch up on any of them, Micah 1 through to 6, you can go online and you can listen to those. We're called as a people to hear what the prophet says to the We're called to hear what the prophet says to the church then and now. So the best way to honour a prophet is to listen to what it is they're saying, weigh it and take it seriously. The role of a prophet is to speak on behalf of God and call the people of God back to him. Prophets aren't always the most popular or most comfortable people in the place. They're the kind of people that you want to be friends with, but you also don't want to be friends with. They are so needed and we need to hear what it is God was saying then to the prophets of old, but also to us now as well. Unashamedly gave a plug for myself there. Do you like that? So far in this series, it's time. We have had week one, it's time to repent. And that was an introduction to the series from Stuart. The big idea for that was it's time to mourn our sin and repent from it and look to Jesus for forgiveness. We've had week two, it's time to preach. That again was with Stuart. You're going to hear Stuart's name mentioned quite a lot in this, all right? So shall I just say it's Stuart unless I say otherwise? Yes, let's do that. Number two was it's time to preach. And the big idea was it's time for God's people to serve one another and proclaim his truth. Week three, we had it's time for the spirit. We all know who preached that one. The big idea was to be faithful servants of God. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Week four, we had Jeremy Douglas Jones. And he brought It's Time for Hope. And he had this as his big idea. We have a message of hope in the midst of war, so in our hearts and between nations, that peace will reign and suffering will come to an end under Jesus' rule. Week five, It's Time for Jesus. Let's do it again. Jesus came to deliver, restore, and sanctify his people. And then if you were here last week, we had a brilliant week last week. So last week was, it's time for everything. Like God just wants everything. And the big idea was Jesus wants us to follow him with our whole heart. And that in turn affects our whole life, our everything. This week... It isn't because I couldn't be bothered to come up with a title. This week, I have left it blank. So it's time, and I want you guys to decide. I want you to think about in your own lives, in your own walk with Jesus, in what it looks like for you now, whether you know him or don't know him, what it's time for. And yours might say it's time for forgiveness, repentance. It's time for me to get serious about this. It's time for me to read my Bible. It's time. The reason I've given you a pen and a little piece of card is because you're going to write your own signs this morning. You're going to basically fill in the blank. 
You're going to decide what it is you want to take out of this series or just take out of this morning. You're going to write it down and you're going to carry that around. So rather than us putting it up here week in, week out to remind you what it's time for, you're going to decide what it's time for. It is the best and most effective way for us to change the world is for men and women in this room to take seriously what God is saying to them and then go and do something about it outside of this room. So if we all make great decisions in this room and sit here and go, isn't this amazing? Our world will never get changed. For real change to take place, it needs to happen in here in our hearts and then it needs to go out. And so I've given you a Sharpie and I've given you a bit of paper and at the end, I'm going to invite you to fill in your sign. I did say to Phil, we could maybe get everyone up to scribble it on here, um, which she sort of liked. And then we decided maybe we'll go for cards that you take home because you can't all take this home, can you? So I think it's up to us as a people to decide whether we'll end a series like this with a nice set of notes in our notebook and a few moments in worship where we've gone, oh, that was amazing, or whether we actually have our lives changed, whether we actually do something about what Mike is saying to us and it affects our world. And we have that choice to make this morning in this room. So... Micah 7 is the longest chapter in the book of Micah, so I've asked my friend Ro to come and help me with that. So Ro's going to read Micah 7. If you have a Bible, follow along with her. If you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, in Real Life Church, we will sort you out with a Bible. So if you're sitting there and you think, I don't own a Bible, I don't know how to read a Bible, tell us, and it would be our absolute pleasure to help. So I'm reading from the NLT, and this is Micah 7. Misery turned to hope. How miserable I am. I feel like the fruit picker after the harvest who can find nothing to eat. Not a cluster of grapes or a single early fig can be found to satisfy my hunger. The godly people have all disappeared. Not one honest person is left on the earth. They are all murderers, setting traps even for their own brothers. Both their hands are equally skilled at doing evil. Officials and judges alike demand bribes. The people with influence get what they want, and together they scheme to twist justice. Even the best of them is like a briar. The most honest is as dangerous as a hedge of thorns. But your judgment day is coming swiftly now. Your time of punishment is here, a time of confusion. Don't trust anyone, not your best friend or even your wife. For the son's son despises his father, the daughter defies her mother, the daughter-in-law defies her mother-in-law. Your enemies are right in your own household. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemies, for though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I will be patient as the Lord punishes me, for I have sinned against him. But after that, he will take up my case and give me justice for all I have suffered from my enemies. The Lord will bring me into the light, and I will see his righteousness. 
Then my enemies will see that the Lord is on my side. They will be ashamed that they have taunted me, saying, So where is the Lord, that God of yours? With my own eyes I will see their downfall. They will be trampled like mud in the streets. In that day, Israel, your cities will be rebuilt and your borders will be extended. People from many lands will come and honour you. From Assyria all the way to the towns of Egypt, from Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River, and from distant seas and mountains. But the land will become empty and desolate because of the wickedness of those who live there. O Lord, protect your people with your shepherd's staff. Lead your flock, your special possession. Though they live alone in a thicket on the heights of Mount Carmel, let them graze in the fertile pastures of Bashan and Gilead as they did long ago. Yes, says the Lord, I will do mighty miracles for you, like those I did when I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. All the nations of the world will stand amazed at what the Lord will do for you. They will be embarrassed at their feeble power. They will cover their mouths in silent awe, deaf to everything around them. Like snakes crawling from their holes, they will come out to meet the Lord our God. They will fear him greatly, trembling in terror at his presence. Where is another God like you? who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sins of his people. You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. Thank you, Ro. That was beautifully read. You'll be pleased to know I'm not going to tackle every single line of that, else we'd be here till about three o'clock this afternoon. So what we find in the book of Micah are these themes that come through in the whole book and every chapter. So if you read Micah or have been reading it along at home, you'll know that it comes with warning and judgment from God and then hope and salvation. And those cycles roll around the whole book, every chapter. This chapter is exactly the same. So we get warnings from God and a message of judgment and then we get hope and we get salvation. It's a beautiful end to a beautiful book. I would say don't avoid reading the prophetic books even though sometimes they come across a little strange or a little hard in places. Try and press in and read the full canon of scripture. Try and read everything that God has written down, not just the bits that you love, but the bits that make you feel uncomfortable, the bits that make you go, oh gosh, or stretch you a little bit. It's one of the ways when we say it's time to grow up, it's one of the ways we'll grow up as a local church is we will read all kinds of books in the Bible, not just the ones that we love and are palatable. So this book comes with warning, judgment, hope, and salvation. So I'm going to look at chapter 7 just in those those bits. I'm going to look at warning and judgment and then hope and salvation. And we're going to end where we should always end. We're saying it's all about Jesus. So the warning and judgment, I'm just going to pick out a couple of verses because they're the ones that jumped out for me when I was reading it and kind of summarize 
basically the warning and the judgment. So in verse 2 and verse 3, so in verse 2 it says, the godly people have all disappeared. And I must admit, when I read that, I just, like something in my heart just, just groaned and just thought, where are the godly people? And that is what the prophet is saying. Where, where are they? So where have they disappeared to? What, what are they doing? Um, and I, to be honest, I ask that question often. I think when I read stuff in the news or I hear stuff going on, often my cry is, where are the godly people? Where are they standing? Where are they speaking? What are they doing? Why are they so quiet? Even when we came out of the pandemic, one of the questions we were asking is, where are the godly people? How do we gather them back up? How do we get them all back in, life groups in? It it was our job, really, to gather our people, crying out, where are you? And some people are still missing, even some people who are here on and off, but are actually missing in their hearts. And I do think it is a cry that God is crying out on the earth now is where are the remnant, where are the godly people, where are those that love me and know me, where are they in life group, and you might be sitting here twitching a bit uncomfortably thinking, oh no, I'm not even in a life group, let alone turning up, where are we on Sundays, are our hearts elsewhere, are we off on clubs, holidays, doing all kinds of different things because we had those things taken away so no one's going to take them again, where are we? And I think it's a really great question that Micah asks the people right back then, but also asks us. And I think it is what God is looking for on the earth. He's looking for men and women who are prepared to stand for him, follow him, and pay the price. It was what he cried out in the garden when, when, when Adam and Eve had got things wrong. He was like, where are you? Where are you? Like with all your sin and all your shame and all your messing up, and where are you? Come to me. The kids out in um, Kids and Youth this morning are looking at the story of Nicodemus and Jesus. And one of the things we're saying to the kids is, you can cry out to Jesus. You can ask him any questions. If you want to find him, he's there to be found. So we're not the ones looking for Jesus going, where are you? What are you doing? He's looking for us. He's saying, where are you people of God? And I think it's a good question just to ask ourselves, where am I? To assess it, go, where's my heart? Am I lukewarm? Am I on fire for God? Am I away from God? Am I questioning? Where where am I? What's going on with me? Taking a little bit of a temperature in your life groups. When you on paper have 20 people, but three people turn up on the night, where are the godly people, where have they gone? What's going on in their lives? These are good questions to ask. And I think often prophets ask slightly uncomfortable questions. So I apologize if you're one of my friends, because I often ask slightly uncomfortable questions. That's, that's because I move like that. That's because I function like that. That's because I do genuinely question, where are the godly people? What's going on? And sometimes that's uncomfortable, but someone said to me last week, just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not good. So just because it feels uncomfortable, just because it feels like, who are they to ask that, doesn't mean that it's not good. Doesn't mean that it's not good for us to hear it. So if you're in a life group and you have leaders that are saying, where are you? Understand this, it's the cry of God's heart. 
where are you? If you are part of a Sunday morning and you're missing and we message you and go, how are you doing? Where are you? It's not because we're chasing you up and because we want to tick you off on a list. It's because it's the heart of God. He wants his people to be gathered together. He wants to see them on the earth functioning. He wants them in his house. He wants them round his family table. He wants them. Therefore, as leaders, we want you too. Therefore, Lua Life Group leaders want you. And not so that we can tick a register, but so that we can be counted as the people of God together in one place doing his will. Verse 3 says this, they are equally skilled at doing what is evil. So the picture you've got is you've got those who supposedly know and love God alongside those who don't doing all the same kinds of horrors on the earth. And if you track through history, you can see that, can't you? You can see supposedly righteous men and women doing the most unrighteous things, the unimaginable things. They look no different to the people around them. They're equally skilled at doing evil. When I read this, because I'm an external processor, I do most of my stuff out loud. Um, And so when I read this, I literally exclaimed out loud, this cannot be. How can the people of God look just as evil as everybody else? How can they look no different on the earth? So I had a bit of a rant while I was reading chapter 7. See, we're the people of God. If you know and love Jesus, you're an ambassador of Christ, a representative of him on the earth. The early church, the Christians were called Christians because it literally means little Christs. They were basically, it was a derogatory term. They were basically taking the mickey out of them. Look at you, little Christ. It's actually a badge we should wear with honor. Little Christ on the earth were his ambassadors, representatives set apart as a people on the earth to look completely different to everybody else. So we should not feel chuffed when our friends say to us, oh, you're just like us, you fit in with us. We can go out drinking, swearing, doing whatever we like because we're all the same. We should not feel like, yes, I've blended in. Yes, I now fit. Yes, I'm accepted. It should be sometimes that they don't like to invite you out because you make them feel a little uncomfortable. It should be like that. Our churches should be places that people love to be in but also feel slightly uncomfortable. If you're here this morning and this isn't your usual place, there should be something in you that feels a little uncomfortable. That's because the people of God aren't supposed to fit. They're not supposed to look like everybody else. We're not here to create a club where we all love one another and and cuddle one another and help one another and never challenge one another and never correct one another and never abstain from things and say, I won't touch that, I will not go near that. And just because the culture says it's all right, my God does not. We are supposed to walk upstream We are supposed to be transformed. We're supposed to look different. We are not supposed to conform to the pattern of this world. And I think one of the things that Micah is saying throughout his book is, you look too much like everybody else. So if the culture says it's all about me, you are also singing the same song. And if it's all about my comfort and it's all about my 
enjoyment and my happiness, you are singing the same song as everybody else, therefore you blend. Therefore you do not stand out, you do not speak out, therefore you are comfortable and part of a comfort culture instead of standing separate to it and inviting people to join a new culture. We are supposed to look different on the earth. You are supposed to have times when it is uncomfortable to have you within your friendship groups, within your family groups. There is supposed to be slight tension, slight out of sortedness. Don't even think that's a word, but out of sortedness, I like it. Out of sorts, I don't like that as much, even though I'm sure that is the word. Out of sortedness, okay, heard it here first. We are supposed to, in some way, shape, or form, stand out because we are the people of God. We serve a different king and a different kingdom, which means who we are is intrinsically different. It means that my language is different, what I value, what I spend my money on, what I spend my time doing, what I talk about, what I sing, what I... looks different looks different because I serve the king of all kings and I live in a kingdom that is here and now but is coming in its fullness. I walk in a different way. All the way through Micah, the people of God blend. And I think that is a challenge to us in a culture that shouts so loudly, it's all about me. It is a challenge for us to say, no, it isn't. And even in church culture, it is a challenge for us to say, your comfort and your happiness is sadly not our priority. Your growth and your development is. You becoming more and more like Christ, that is what is on our hearts. Being loved, being known by him, being loved and being known by one another, yes. But your happiness... And your comfort is not our priority. And that, I tell you what, that is hard to hear because we're in a culture where it's all about me. That is the song that we sing. We sing a song that says it's all about him and it's all about what he wants. And the road he's asked us to walk comes with suffering, hardship. I'm really sorry if you came here this morning for a cheery message. I will get to the cheery, all right? But it comes with pain and it comes with cost because we walk the road he walked and he walked it right the way up to the cross and he walked it with people deserting him and he walked it when people beat him, spat on him, misunderstood him. He walked that road because it was the one that God had asked of him and it's the one that God asked of us. That is our path I feel like in this series, there's a few chewy things that God just wants us to get our head around, and this is one of them. It is all about Jesus, and it is all about building his kingdom, and we need to work out how we align our hearts, align our finances, align our hobbies, align everything to make sure that it says it is all about him, and that will, Real Life Church, cost us. So it might be that it's time for you to take that seriously. It might be that it's time to look at the diaries, time to look at the bank accounts, time to look at what it is we're spending our time doing. 
I often think if I knew I had a week left to live, what would I be doing with it? And I'm pretty sure there's quite a few things I would not be doing. And it's asking ourselves the question, if all that is going to be left at the end of the day when I stand before Christ is work that I have done for him, if that's all that's going to be left and everything else will be burnt up, how much of that do I want to be holding? How much of that do I want to usher in to that new heaven and that new earth? And the stuff that's just going to burn away and waste away, well, like, how much of that do I want to shove in? to just watch it disintegrate down to nothing. I told you we get to a good bit. So when we see the warning, when we hear the judgment in God, what we do is we fall on our knees. And that's what Micah really wants for us, is that we recognize God's warning, we recognize his judgment. He is a holy God who has set apart a people. We're it on the earth. In Sutton Coalfield, this remnant here, we're part of a remnant that exists on the earth that is supposed to display him. We're it. We're part of it. When we hear his warning, when we hear his judgment, when we think to ourselves, that rings true, our response as the people of God should be to repent. And if you missed it, week one was brilliant on this repentance feels sometimes like a bit of a dirty word in church, like it's as if we want you to be guilty and full of shame. Nobody wants that. Repentance is something we do so that we can get back up again, so that we can have God dust us down and go, come on then, let's go. He is the most forgiving, gracious, kind person I know. If you kneel before him and say, I got this wrong, He will literally lift you up. You will feel him dust you down and remove your sin as far as the east is from west and get you going again. He won't rub your face in it. He will not leave you in it. He is super kind. He will stand you up again. He is the perfect parent. It's how I want to be with my kids when they come to me, but oftentimes I want to make sure they know they really did get that wrong, especially if it's something that has taken them a long time to get to the apology bit on. I want to make sure they know. He wants to hear your heart, understand that you're sorry, and then he wants to lift you straight back up again. I often hear, when I'm parenting my boys, I often hear the Spirit of God whispering to me. So when I say to them things like, how many times do we need to talk about this? I hear God saying, yes, how many times do we need to talk about this? Or when I say, you're saying sorry again for that thing that you've done repeatedly, I hear the Spirit of God going, yes, yes, we agree. Repeatedly, you can come to him. Repeatedly, you can repent and he will lift you up. Okay, who's ready for some hope and some salvation? Yep, me too. Verse seven says this, as for me, I will look to the Lord and I will wait for him to save me. Verse 11 says, in that day, Israel, or you could just put in real life church or whatever church you're a part of, in that day, real life church, your cities will be rebuilt and your borders will be extended. 
And then verse 18 says this, who is like him who forgives sins, he removes them, he tramples on them, he throws them into the sea. He's full of unfailing love, compassion, faithfulness. He keeps his promises. As for me, Micah's saying, I'll, I'll, I'll watch and I'll wait for the Lord. That's where our hope comes from. When we're kneeling down, when we realize our sin, when we're repenting of all that's gone wrong, our hope comes on waiting for him. Not racing around doing good works, not, not thinking, well, I will somehow repay the debt. I will somehow, so I will look at the poor and I will think, well, I'll just work really hard and I'll look after the poor or I'll be an extremely good leader and I will just work my absolute hardest to be the best that I can be That should not be our response. Our response when we get to a place of repentance, when we recognize the warning of God, when we hear his voice, our response should be, I'm waiting for you. I'm looking to you. I'm going with you. During this series, we've been encouraged to think about the poor, to think about how we lead, to think about our workplaces, to think about our homes And the danger is we run around now going, I'm going to work incredibly hard. I'm going to volunteer for every charity I know. I'm going to give money away. I'm going to be the best leader at work. I'm going to bake. I'm going to, I'm just, and we send ourselves absolutely crazy. That would more be in keeping with the culture around us. I will work hard and I will earn my own salvation. Micah's saying, I'm waiting. I'm looking to the Lord and I will watch and wait for him. And we need to be those people that recognize our sin, that recognize our guilt, that recognize our shame, and then wait and go, all right, God, let's see you. Let's see what you want to say. Let's see what you want to do. And you might be in that place right now. You might be in a place of where you're just given a little bit of time aside to watch and wait and see what God's going to do, who he is, what he's about. You might be questioning, you might be, that's a really fine place to be. It's a really good place to be, to not be charging around going, well, I'll fix this, do this, do that, but to wait and say to God, okay, I hear you, I know you're here. What is it you want to say? What is it you want to do? And there's a promise in God, a hope in God that he will rebuild So if you are broken, if your circumstances are broken, if you just look around you and just think, what is happening? There's a promise in God that he will rebuild. There's a promise in God for his people, but there's a promise personally for you that he will rebuild. And he's so good at that. I've watched him do that over and over again. I literally look around this room And I can see lives that God himself has rebuilt. And I can see people who have got crumbling cities. And it's the same God who will rebuild that again and again. And he'll rebuild his kingdom on the earth. And he'll establish himself in such a way that they will all come that they will want to meet with the God himself because he's the rebuilder. 
because he rebuilds ruined cities, because he takes hold of broken things and he makes them new. It's our story, it's our song. So it isn't all about me, it's all about him. He does beautiful work in our lives and he rebuilds things in such a way that they're permanent and lasting and glorious. And to be honest, anything we build on earth with our own hands is pales into its significance compared to what he builds compared to what he does, the families he restores, the lives he renews, the bodies he mends, the hearts he mends, the heads he mends. He is so good at what he does. See, the Bible says that he forgives sin. I don't know anybody else who does that in such a way that you are then right with your maker. He does that. It's what Jesus came to the earth for, to bring about restoration and healing. And it says in Micah that he removes them, tramples on them, throws them into the sea. I love that over explaining how far he will go to get rid of that which you feel ashamed of, that which weighs you down, that which holds you back. He will trample on it destroy it, get rid of it, so it no longer follows you around. He is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Like even the best love stories in the world have hiccups go wrong. He is full of unfailing love. It's so beautiful. He keeps his promises to a thousand generations Right at the end of Michael, we go back to Abraham's promise where he says to Abraham, you'll have descendants more than you can even name or number. It's so beautiful. He keeps that promise to have descendants more than you can even name or number. He is our salvation, Jesus himself. He is our hope. All the way through the Old Testament, you don't necessarily get the books mentioning Jesus by name, but you get this whisper all the way through where you hear Jesus is coming. And it's, it's true of the book of Micah. Right at the end, you get this hope of a saviour who's coming, who will restore God's people. We know that he is sent by the Father, full of the Holy Spirit, We know that he came to rid our world of sin and sickness and death. We know that from the Christmas story and the Easter story, we know how he came and what he came for. So I want to ask you this morning what your sign will say. Will it say it's time to repent? Have you got some things you just need to sort out? And at the end of this series, you're thinking, actually, not only do I want to repent now, but I want to live a lifestyle of getting stuff right with God. Week in, week out, day after day, I want to show humility and I want to get down low and I want to tell God, I'm going to get good this year at repenting. Is it time for you to preach? There's a whole world out there that could do with knowing about Jesus. You've got friends, you've got neighbours, you've got family members who could do with knowing that he's real, knowing that he's kind, knowing that he's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. 
You've got friends who've got questions, but you blend too much. So they wouldn't even know to ask you because you just look like everybody else. Is it time to preach? Is it time to stand out? And you don't need to walk around telling everyone, you know, hell and damnation. But you could do with maybe telling them you're a Christian. Maybe that you go to church. Maybe that you do believe in the power of God. Maybe if they're sick, say you'd want to pray for them. Maybe some of you, that is time to preach. Maybe some of you, it's time for the Holy Spirit. So you're not even filled yourself. So you're walking around pretty much like a Christian, but without any power. So basically, you look like everyone else. So maybe it's time for the Spirit for you. Maybe it's time for hope. Maybe you don't walk around with a message of hope. Maybe actually what your friends and family, when they look at you, they'd say, actually, you're a little doom and gloom. Maybe it's time to get hold of this message of hope. Maybe it's time for Jesus. Maybe you've been the main person in your world. And God's saying, actually, it's it's time for a little bit of um, a reshuffle. It's time for you to sit there and him to sit there. Maybe that's what will be on your sign. Maybe it's time for everything. Maybe you're looking at it going, actually, I could do with all of that. So my sign will say, it's time for everything. What I want to invite you to do, if you're listening online, you can do this as well, is just pick up your bit of paper and your Sharpie and think to yourself, what's it time for? Is it time for me to question stuff? Is it time for me to start coming to church? Is it time for me to get in a life group? Is it time for me to start giving? Is it time for me to serve? Is it time? So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to just think about it, write it down and pop it in your pocket. You can keep the Sharpie because who doesn't love a Sharpie? Sorry if you're listening online, you don't get a free Sharpie. You should come and listen on a Sunday morning and I might give you a Sharpie. You get a Sharpie and I just want you to write something down and pop it in your pocket. This between you and God and telling him this will be my decision going forward. you need to take it home and think about it that is also fine I wouldn't leave it blank but you're allowed to do that and I would put it I've purposefully made it kind of debit card size so that you can just pop it either in in your phone on the back of your phone in a wallet somewhere where you can just carry it around and you can remind yourself what it's time for And rather than it be a series that you've enjoyed and a book that you've enjoyed, I would love Micah to be something that we take forward with us. His words ringing out to us that actually God has a people on the earth that he's called his own. And he wants them to look like they belong to him. It's time, as far as I'm concerned, for the people of God to stand out. It's time for us to look like it actually really does make a difference to the way we speak, the things we watch, 
the things we sing, the way we parent, the way we do marriage, the type of employees we are. If I'm honest, everyone should know that you belong to Jesus. And even if that is, you mess up and you put it right. It's very difficult for the people of God to be perfect. What we don't want to be is hypocrites. So if you get stuff wrong, if you put it right, I'm always, our boys will hear us apologize regularly because sometimes I am a rock star parent and other times I absolutely blow and there is no in between for me and so there are times when I need to say I'm sorry and put it right, they still get to see me being like what a Christian should look like when I apologize and put stuff right. It is no less godly to do stuff like that. So I want to ask you to stand, people of God. I want to ask the worship team to come and join me. We've got a good amount of time now to worship and respond to Jesus. I want you to hear the call. That it's all about Jesus. He's the saviour. He's our salvation. He's our hope. Full of the Holy Spirit, sent by the Father. He came to us that first Christmas. Next week, we get into the spirit of Christmas. And I literally cannot wait for a three-week series where we talk about how the Holy Spirit moved on the earth to make sure we know it's all about Jesus. And I'd love us to go from the Micah series where we've heard God speak and we know what he's got to say with us going into a new series where we know it's all about Jesus. So let's worship. We'll see what God wants to say. Let's take seriously the prophetic. The best way you can honor the prophetic is by listening to it and doing something with it if you think God has spoken. Amen? Amen.